This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm Ross. You know who you are. Thank you for listening. Today, we're bringing you a conversation that I had at the 2021 Child Discipleship Forum with Ellie Bonilla Jr. Ellie serves in a variety of capacities. He is an emerging leader in the next-gen space. He is the next-gen regional co-chair for North America with Empower 21, and he also fills the position of National Millennial Director for the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. His full-time responsibilities are with One Hope as a master's fellow as part of the Office of the President. Ellie is a fascinating guy, and he and I discuss what Generation Z and Generation Alpha, our kids, are requiring of us for their discipleship, and Ellie shares how his background informs how he parents and how he disciples his own children. Thank you for listening. This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast. This is a privilege to be get a chance to talk once again to Ellie Bonilla. Um, Ellie, we are talking at the 2021 Child Discipleship Forum. Folks are hearing this long after, but uh, you didn't need to hear this from me, man, but thank you so much for your talk. Thank you so much for uh, your ministry, because I can't imagine what this forum would have been like had we not included you. I think when I think about how the forum was put together, we would have presented an incomplete version of what God was up to if we hadn't included this conversation. So, man, just thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for uh, having me. And this whole process of being involved has been amazing from beginning to end. Hey, man, that's so cool. So I want to unpack the conversation with you a little bit because when you and I last spoke, it felt, I love talking to you, but it felt like we were sort of taking like a first step here. Right. And one of the things that I think is really important before communities that... <clears throat> That's why it's podcasts. You get to clear your throat. Um, <laughs> for communities that are engaging in the conversation, one of the things that you said that I thought was most powerful from your talk, but I've heard you say it before, which is there's some people who the first conversation they had about race in their entire life happened in the last 18 months. And in fact, probably more people. You, those have made it really clear. You have never felt more, I believe, I'm going to misquote, I might misquote you here, but you've never felt more homeless in the racial conversation than in the past 18 months. Absolutely. Why is that? Yeah, I I think that um, there is a tendency, and I don't think it's just a race conversation, but uh, in popular culture, uh, the ebbs and flows of conversations that come and go yeah. to try to find yourself in that conversation. Mm. And I just believe that the way that the race conversation at the time was was very, you know, it was black and white. I think rightfully so, because it was handling uh, the context of U.S. black and white. Sure. But as it progressed and started building up steam there was this sense of, you know, across the board, because people started sounding their frustrations as well as different communities are like, hey, well, us too, we felt this and we felt that. And I kind of got to the point where I was like, yeah, that is true. Hmm. And I looked around and I listened and I'm like, wow, there is really few, if any, talking about that. And even then, very shallow in some regards or... 
in in other ways not very resonant to myself and so sure. I didn't have a place to land fully hmm. and that's why I use kind of the language of homeless or a visitor in the conversation because it's like yeah I, I participated in conversation and I was included but there wasn't a landing spot or at yeah. least I didn't feel that way well what I think is why this conversation matters so much and where honestly I want to spend the majority if not all of our time is you and I are in a similar stage of life. We're both young dads. And what can is encouraging to me, you know, my, my parents, they raised me in a loving home. They raised me, you know, they were, they did everything they can. We grew up in a very white community, but they did everything they can to make sure that we had as diverse of a, of a experience as possible. I'm not going to have to try as hard with my daughter. The, the cultures, the different communities are going to be more present in her life than they were in mine just because of the demographics of where we live, right? And this, the ways in which uh, demographics is equaling destiny. However, if the conversation doesn't improve, it's not going to matter that she happens to know more people of color at the age of five than I did. Mm-hmm. When you think about it in the long game, like what our kids are going to grow up into, are you hopeful that the conversation is improving? Are you hopeful that they're going to grow up in a different context? Because some of the problems are going to be, not, I don't want to say solved, but much easier because the context is so different. But are you hopeful that we're getting to a different place? Yeah, I, I do believe that uh, a part of that tension I felt yeah. is that it, a lot of it was just the ripping off of the Band-Aid to mm. expose that nothing was healed. We either skirted around it or, you know, we, we glossed over it or maybe we were even medicating it improperly. Mm. Like we were numbing, we're probably numbing the pain and just saying, well, you know, we're a big happy family because we're all together. And it's like we're together, but there's a in the Christian sense, it's not just being physically together. It's they were together in one spirit, right? And yeah. I'm trying to get Pentecostal on this podcast, yeah. but uh, <laughs> but there is that component. That's yeah. a that's a component that I perhaps we didn't dive into, and that's a very intimate component yeah. of of the conversation. And I think where a lot of people got caught by surprise in that in the cultural moment we experienced the last 18 months is we truly didn't know each other. We were around each other, mm. and the problem with being close and not knowing the person next to you truly is that when things get tense, you're close enough to get punched. We were close enough. We were we were all close enough to <laughs> get into fist fights with one yeah. another, and it just you know I, I and and so in a way it did devolve into chaos, but it illuminated that we weren't as good as we thought we were. Totally. And all of the dysfunction that was beneath the surface, it surfaced. And so I think what we could assume is that, oh, well, you know, we're now in a, in a spiral where it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And I'm, I'm believing that the way that you take away the enemy's foothold in a conversation yeah. is the illumination of his deception in it. Mm. And so we're seeing this didn't work or this was incomplete. Now that we know that's the case and more people than ever know that that's the case, we can really attack it head on and we can really go for it uh, in a healthier way. And so I'm hopeful that, okay, now we know, let's work towards that because now we have something to aim towards. Yeah. And that's, I think what's so critical in that is that, like you said, we do actually have something to aim for here, which hasn't always been the case because we've, I love that imagery. We didn't actually know each other. Um, the thing that I think stands out to me about it is I feel like there has been a consistent to drastically undersell 
there's been a consistent burden placed on people of color to explain this conversation, to carry this conversation around race by themselves, not in a monolithic way, but that each and every person who did not present as white uh, has had to carry this burden in a way that folks who have presented as white just simply haven't. When I think about it in the context of my kids, one of the things that I'm so hopeful for is their ability to not to see the ways that to be more focused, I'll say it this way, to be more focused on the Imago Day in each person rather than paying attention to the ways that they're different. You and I, though, you are raising mixed babies. One of my favorite parts of your talk is how beautiful your mixed babies are. Do you feel a similar burden for them that you, I'm going to make a drastic assumption here, felt growing up? That there's a response, there's a, the folks who are white are still not carrying their fair share. Yeah, I, I, I do, and I, and I agree with that foundation of the Imago Dei being, being the foundation, because as we continue to increase in our mixed demographic, the yeah. realities of those that, that carry the weight of, am I this or am I that, yeah. I'm too much this or I'm not enough that, I, I really do have a burden for... For those that that have been told that their complexity is way too overbearing in a race conversation. There it is. And too distracting. Yeah. And that's where I, I think I got in a lot of trouble with comments even in 2020 because I was told that I was diluting the conversation by adding too many elements to it or mm-hmm. I was becoming a distraction because I wasn't staying on subject or on task with what needs to be said or needs to be done. Hmm. And I felt very quickly the the need to stand in the gap for those that just shouldn't have to settle yeah for the type of conversation that was being presented yeah now it's fine for us to have various varying conversations but if if how we're different is the foundation for what we're building on then what we're going to end up constructing is siloed communities of yeah. people trying to make a point. And I'm like, well, the only foundation we should build on is Christ. Amen. And from there, we construct a table that is big enough for everyone to sit at. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that gives me a burden, you know, and I mentioned for my kids. I'm like, yeah, my kids don't, they shouldn't have to choose. I think it's amazing that they get to lean in all these different cultures. Yeah. But I, I don't want them to be pigeonhole typecasts or uh, stereotyped into... A corner when they're so beautifully mixed with so so many things and and i want to be able to build a foundation that is robust enough to carry all of that simultaneously amen and one of the things that you said the last time we talked was the sort of difference between character and caricatures and i just from my perspective as a you know dorky suburban white dad right like my kids don't have the same kind of risk of being caricatures and I think, therefore, at least the perceptive, the what I am doing my darndest to be able to raise up in my kids is that there is a responsibility there to do everything you can to make sure others aren't also being made caricatures, to see the character, to grow the character in others that you're interacting with, because because that same pressure won't be on them. When you have to, you know, you are someone who is an emerging leader in the next gen space. I think about how this conversation is going to look drastically different pretty quickly and that there are, you know, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, 
where this is less of a thing for them, but still needs to be guided. For folks who are listening to this who are like, man, I've had the conversation after George Floyd. I've had the conversation where it's acknowledging these differences and I want to embrace the similarity. We, when off air, you and I talked about how we basically talked about step one and now I want to talk about step two, which is when you are talking to your kids about this or when you are helping other dads navigate how to talk to the kids about it, how do we continue to center the Imago Dei in this that without it becoming sort of (laughs) a cliched bumper sticker of we're all in this together? Yeah, I believe it's uh, the... The second step is is a faith step to sacrifice what you know for what you don't. Amen. And that's the whole point of me really having a burden for my my mixed family where I get to, as a non-Palestinian, yeah. lay down the hat of what I think I know and letting them teach me by being around them and being immersed in that. And likewise with my wife in, in my culture and community. And so I would say that... The, the second step is a step of lifelong commitment where it says, you know what? I don't want to assume yeah. that I know. I, I don't want to assume that I can be educated by a video or by a talk. Even even my talk. like yeah. I, My talk is not to... It, it's an introduction talk. Yes. It's saying, this is, this is complicated, but thank God for the Holy Spirit. Yes. Because he allows us to cultivate character more than caricature in the various terms that I give. And so I, I think for the second step, it's to say, you know what, am I willing to commit myself to actually get to immerse myself in the culture? Yeah. Not just knowing it. I think that that first step is the engagement with it at first and, you know, being shocked by it perhaps, but saying, you know what, I, I'm going to stay here. Yeah. And for everyone that's, you know, everyone's doing ministry at their own capacity, but saying what part of the culture in my community am I missing because I'm not taking the quote-unquote risk to go to the places I don't know, stay there, and be taught. Amen. You know, by by people. So, Well, and I think what I hope people hear from that too is when you go there to be taught, people can be real patient. I think there is this assumption that folks who go to those places for the folks who um, are taking that quote unquote risk that they have to get it right in the beginning. Mm. And this is not, this is not a destination we're going to arrive at. When I think about how we talk to to our kids, what I'm praying for is a healthier conversation about it. I'm praying for more God honoring conversation about it more, as you would say, a more revelation seven kind of vision for this conversation. But don't underestimate the ability for someone to just be grateful that you're making the effort rather than having to get it right. Um, When you are, I want to kind of shift the conversation a little bit here to uh, the way to sort of rise above the noise. Mm -hmm. I think that there are folks across a wide variety of medium spectrums, folks who are going to actively do one of two things. They're going to actively lean into the caricature part of the conversation or they're going to actively lean into the uh, uniformity over unity part Mm -hmm. of the conversation. And I think it's really critical that we teach kids and teach ourselves Mm -hmm. how to stay centered on what God is calling for in this conversation around race. How do you begin to sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, check yourself when you feel like you're being pulled into some of those caricature conversations? I think that... The, the beginning place is my relationship with Christ. Mm. It has to be. 
Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Advent is marked by the hope of a fulfilled promise and yet the waiting of what is to come. It is a time for us to remember all that God has done and faithfully cling to the promise of what he will do. The Promise of a Savior is a free resource designed to equip you, parents, grandparents, and guardians, to lead intentional time and conversation around the promise of our Savior, Jesus Christ. While this resource has been designed as a five-week devotional, each discipleship opportunity is distinct and stands on its own. Visit awana.org to receive this resource and join us today as we celebrate the advent of Jesus Christ, the promised Savior, together. I, I do believe that there at times are, especially for myself, it, and I think a lot of people do this, is we project yeah. onto other people. Um a lot of assumptions about you know what the long list of all, all the things that we assume about people right? yeah, yeah yeah and if if it doesn't flow by first our relationship with christ and our identity in christ we won't appreciate the imago day in somebody else there it is or have the patience enough to appreciate that imago day and i i just I believe that at times we can run the risk, and especially in this conversation where Western missionaries have ran that risk, the savior mentality yeah, going yeah. into another context and say, hey, we're here to save the day, we're here to save you. And I just believe that with an intimate relationship with Jesus, you just, you realize you are nothing without him. Yeah. You realize how many things are secondary to your relationship and identity in him. And so, if I have a centered relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit keeps me from, from drifting. As a matter of fact, I was talking to uh, Christopher Yawn in the back. Yeah. And he gave me this quote by Spurgeon, I believe that it was. He said that uh, the discernment of the Holy Spirit is not merely to differentiate between right and wrong, but it's to differentiate between right and almost right. Oh, wow. And I think that there is a lot of great intentions and almost right being spoken. Yeah, sure. And I think that that's what you're saying by a degree of separation. It's like, how do we not drift? Because a one degree of drift can eventually in years' time become a, a devolve into some different conversation we'd never intended to have. And I'm thinking, man, if you have an intimate relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that there is that ability to discern between like, you know, that tastes good to say, huh. but that's not completely right. Yeah. And Jesus is checking. Jesus is checking me before there I because I, I can't check myself. Yeah, I don't trust myself. My heart's deceitful, right? The word yeah. says like that's who we are, and so I think that it, it begins there. Well, and I think what that also speaks to is the folks who are going to lean more to the uniformity part of the conversation. Right. Folks who are like, let's just move past it. A post-racial right. environment, all these sort of buzzwords where yeah. people say to essentially make themselves feel good, but also yeah. to not engage in the work. Right. And I hope I'm hopeful that folks who would tend to lean there, folks who feel like they have it figured out even right. folks who have come from mixed backgrounds right. who they themselves are mixed or their kids are mixed right. is to continue to invest in what got the fullness of god's potential i keep coming back to this for the context of the form that what god is up to in centering a movement around child discipleship requires the whole church mm-hmm. requires all people mm-hmm. all areas of expertise mm-hmm. all areas of focus right. otherwise we are selling short what god is actually up to And 
the thing that I'm, I want to sort of, as we begin to kind of land the plane here, I think there's a lot of conversation about how overwhelming the church 2050 is, right? right. right? There's, well, we're done. Church lost. Uh, and although we know that that is not what scripture says, right. I think uh, we've all read a, <laughs> we all read a Barna study enough to be like, man, this is hard. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think in this particular kind of conversation, you know, you and I are not going to, I'm I, spoiler alert. If you're still listening, we're not going to teach you how to talk to your kids about race here. This is not an <laughs> exhaustive right. talk, but there's a, what I admire so much about what you're describing is that step one of immersing. Like that's what so many people are trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody read the books. Yeah. Everybody listened to the podcasts. Yeah. Everybody began to watch more YouTube videos, yeah. but immersing yourself in culture and being willing to stay there requires a greater level of investment. When you look at the world that your kids are going to grow up into, when you look at the world that the church of 2050, the culture of 2050, what are you optimistic about? Because I think folks want to be like, yeah, we're all, it's going to be a, it's going to be a rainbow of, you know, just every you know, United Nations in like, I imagine you're optimistic, but you have a much realer sense of what's coming. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm optimistic in our increased awareness at how desperately we need the spirit of God. I am glad I am glad to overwhelm people with the complexity of this conversation. Amen. I'm glad to add more elements to it because there is this deceptive spirit that makes us believe that we can orchestrate unity. Yeah. And in orchestrating unity, you orchestrate revival. There is no human orchestration. <laughs> Babel taught us that. They, they had unity. Yeah. And the Spirit of God dropped down, and it says that, look at what they're doing in their unity. And it was very clear. They all spoke the same language. They landed in the same geographical location. And God was like, the way that humans construct unity it says that it, they constructed to bring themselves glory. That's what Babel was all about. Yeah. And we run that risk. And I'm I, what I'm optimistic about is saying, man, a lot of, we're all building Babels, but those Babels are going to crumble into chaos. Yeah. And you know who will be the perpetrator? It's the Spirit of God. Yeah. We'll come and illuminate what is true and what is not. And what I love is that that juxtaposes what happened then in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God came and then he dropped what? He dropped diversity. He gave them all the tongues of everyone, of all the languages that were present. Yeah. And so when, when I started my talk uh, here at conference and I said, you know what? Unity is not a, a human strategy, but unity is a spiritual reality. Yeah. That is so true. And so my optimism is that as the church continues to dive into, oh my gosh, and this and that and the other, that they will dive more into spirituality. And the great thing is from all the studies, the GYC and Barno, we are finding out that more so than ever, this generation coming up is so receptive to spirituality. Amen. They, They might not have an anchoring and stuff, but they are open to being invited into space. And so my optimism is the more spiritual we get because of how weighty this conversation is, the more we can see a true healthy version yeah. of unity instead of the faux Tower of Babel version yeah. that makes us feel good yeah. that we were able to fill the pews with different looking people. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. No, that's so good, man. I think to be honest, I might, I might end there because I want to, I'm smart enough to know when uh, the content's not going to get better. But the thing I want to ask just with a couple minutes we have left is you are someone who is invested in the next gen space. You are someone who 
you might be the only CDF faculty member who has an Instagram account that you use, right? Like you are someone who uh, ha- is more aware of the culture that kids are growing up in today, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, et cetera, than a lot of folks who might even be listening to this podcast. I feel like there's this tension of, man, my kids are, you know, Matt Markins spoke about it in the forum. My kids are growing up on Mars, mm-hmm. right? And I was raised on Earth. And there's this big gap between mm. those two experiences. Mm. I, th- from someone who's not an expert like you, I feel that there is an uh, there is a tremendous uh, privilege in just being able to admit that, mm. being able to admit like I don't understand what's happening in my kid's life because I grew up in a different context. But when you are more coming from the the younger side, the coming from the kid side, coming from like what that culture is, what do you feel like is a is the biggest misconception? that an older generation has about what the next gen space looks like? I think that there is a misconception with that, that, that the next gen space is full of anti Christians. There it is. I I think that we, we believe that all the noise and all the, you know, getting armed up is this next generation's uh, one statistics don't, don't, bear witness to that yeah i think it's uh three three out of five if you invited a, them to church they'd come yep you know they, they they'd be there and and i and i think that they here here's not just a misconception but it's bad theology okay right it's we are painting generations as the enemy Uh, You know, a generation that's the problem child, right? (laughs) The Xers know it well, right? Like that was like the thing they've forgotten. Millennials, I feel like we were the most villainized generation and we didn't get a redemption arc because Gen Z came. (laughs) They're like, yeah, millennials, yeah, Gen Z. Uh, And and I I, want to say this, it's, it is, it is not about replacing generations. We're not, it's like, oh my gosh, we're going to leave the church in their hands. Yeah. Like, no, be excited. It's about reinforcement. The Bible has always been about the reinforcement of the generations and the fathers and the sons and the sons and the fathers and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so I think that the biggest misconception is that we're battling generations and that, yeah. oh, well, you know, back in my day or, you know, <laughs> if things were like the old, and, and, and I just don't, believe that to be so i think that they are our greatest resource yeah and there should be more optimism thrown their way than there currently is like it's not doom and gloom they don't believe that yeah and they don't want us to believe that they're at a deficit or a handicap yeah they they want to be trusted with winning their generation for god yeah and uh, they are ready yeah and i hope that folks you know here and what you're talking about right it's the we talk about the resilient child philosophy of belong believe become and what our kids are becoming is very much tied to the world they're becoming into and i hope that people hear that optimism of like when we last talked you talked about how folks are we're raising a lot of heavy hitters because they are exposed to things that we weren't exposed to at a younger age but the benefit here is the folk that there is this invitational spirit they are ready to engage in this conversation. And I hope that folks who are listening understand that there is a tremendous opportunity here, but that time is short. Yeah. That we have to engage in this conversation now. We, as we all reset the world, this has to be at the center of that conversation. Cynically, because if not now, when? But more practically, because this is a long game and this is where we're building to. So... The 
Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith, young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash lastingfaith today. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.